everyone richard solomon taking care of business we are wacky today we're actually wacky more than once uh, on this show but what we have today is the bronx wanderers what we've done hey! is we got we got them all it's like really wild so we have yo vinny yo hey we have uh vinny the kid hello world there you go we got nikki sticks what's going on there you go and we got joey b Hey, how's it going? Oh, cool. I got them all. So they're the Bronx Wanderers, thebronxwanderers.com. They are an incredible band. Um, if you get to the show, wh- what you will find is kind of interesting. You could look this up on Wikipedia. They actually know everybody in the audience. So that they do is after the show, they actually say, hey, Joe, Mikey, Tony, uh, Tom, hey, Bob, happy birthday. It's actually hilarious <laughs> because they actually know all of them. Played every restaurant there is in the planet before we graduated that, so we now know our entire audience. Well, but, but you have <laughs> you have some of the most loyal fans. They are incredibly loyal. Thank God for that. And you know what? There is. I, I have to say this unabashedly. When when there is when you guys perform, there is a lot of energy and a lot of love. Uh, the people just go nuts. You really give your hearts out. Uh, you, you guys tell great stories. You got some great visuals. Um, and it's such a great experience. I mean, it's really, really fun. So for the people yeah. out there who don't know how I found them, I went on to a Google search and I did Partridge Family Leather Bronx. And this is what we found. Because <laughs> I was Dad, looking. We're going to put that it, on your tombstone. Well, yes. well it's sort of like, it, well, you know, like Chopped where they take all these ingredients. So it was sort of like, well, like a family rock and roll band from the Bronx. And, that, you know, this is, this is who we got. So Vinny, uh, <laughs> by the way, Vinny, it's Andolfini. Yeah, and, Andolfini, right? Adenolfi. Oh, Adenolfi. There you go. All right. Yes. Adenolfi. So he's got a great story that this all started as weird alchemy. Do you want to talk about that, the, the, the happy it was, accident? No, it was one of those things where I was a record executive for the longest time thinking that this is great and I'm just going to ride this whole thing out into retirement and it'll be great. And about 14 years ago, 13 years ago, my bosses, Terry Cashman and Tommy West, who did all Jim Croce's music and a lot of the Partridge Family stuff, and Dion was on the label at the time. They all came in and said that they were going to retire and they wanted to close the office. And I really kind of had no idea where and what I was going to do. And actor Chaz Palminteri was from the same Bronx neighborhood I was from. Was just really a great guy, and I'd, I'd done some projects with him, and he had said to me, why don't you take your two young kids and do the artists that you worked with through the years? And I said to him, they're 14, they're 11, I really don't don't know if it's going to work, and it's going to be such a long shot. And he said, no, 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 do it, I'll help you. And, and luckily, Danny Aiello is a good friend. Danny stepped in and said, I'll help you, and he does our promo video for us. And Tony Orlando got on board, and the next thing you know, it's... 14 years later, 13 years later, and we're playing all over the world. And it's just the greatest accident Dad gave us for a really good ever. 401k. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of touring, you are everywhere. Talk about yeah. that. Just a little. You are, I, I want to fast forward a little bit because, I, I, you know, I, I look at your tour schedule. I see where you've been, where you're going. It's actually pretty extensive. 
Well, Dad actually just got done with a uh, 13-hour drive back from Chicago, which was uh, the last night or the night before. Before that, we were in L.A., where we got no sleep. And, I mean, the whole name of the game that he taught us is to keep working and stay out there, and one day something great is going to happen with all this work that we're putting in. And we're actually fortunate that right around now we're starting to see you know, how many fans we truly have. I mean, we're almost at 10,000 Facebook fans. It's ridiculous. Well, which for an oldies band is an incredible amount because most of the audience that we play to are not computer-driven people. Well, yeah. <laughs> and the thing is, they're really afraid. I mean, I, a lot of the older people I speak to, you know, they say to me, we don't want to go on Facebook because we know you have to sign up for it. And I try and explain to them that you don't have to give your social security, you know, there's nothing like that. And, and it still, it scares a lot of them away. Well, what's interesting, for the people out there in Radio Land who didn't hear our pre-production phone call where I introduced the band to the my original Bronx Wanderers, which were my parents, they don't have email. They, you know, in fact, um, my my joke with my mom and dad is they'll ask me a question, I'll say, Google knows that, and I'll actually whip out the cell phone and and do a, a little smart yeah, search. We just got dad to talk to Siri for the first time a week ago. So oh, yeah, yeah, really, it's an, it's an ever changing technology thing. Well, speaking of technology, do you, how much technology do you guys rely upon on the road as far as? Everything, you know, GPS, email, uh, uh, social media, uploading stuff from shows. I mean, it drives it drives the engine. It really does. I mean, you know, Joe Barry, jump in. This is this is you know, Joe does all of our. You know, Joe Joe put the whole entire Christmas show production together with me. Which, when you see the Bronx <laughs> Wonders Christmas show, we have snow falling in the background under our logo. He came up with that. You know, we do rock around the Christmas tree. We have all Home Alone footage behind that. You know, Joe, talk about that, man. Yeah, you know. Well, don't be bashful. This is, this is radio. Just go for it. Okay. So <laughs> these guys, you know, I came to these guys and I have a little background in, you know, technology. I worked for a startup before and working with Apple computers and just a little bit of music production, a little bit of video production, a little bit of graphics and they come to me with a couple, you know, tasks. Let's do a promo video for Unico. Let's do this and that. And I, I help them out with it. And it's cool. It's great. And uh, I think it's something that we may surpass other oldies acts with in terms of, uh, you know, really bringing this music into the modern age. So, so, so yeah. are you going to recategorize yourself as the modern point. oldies? <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. That really it's is a new modern oldies. We're postmodern yeah. oldies band. Well, <laughs> So who put together in the surf, well, two questions. Who put together the surf jam as a music arrangement? And then I have a follow-up question about the video that backs that up. That, so basically what had happened was I had said one night, we had a producer a few years back that I was working with, and it was Adam, Adam Reich. And Adam was such a good guy out of Brooklyn. I sat down with him one night, and I said, you know, I want to do something to feature Nick, and I would love to do, I guess, Wipeout. And then it became, well, you know what, why we had, uh, you know, our original guitarist that was in the band. I mean, the thing is, the sad thing is, the last time you interviewed me, I was the third oldest guy. You know, there were two guys older than me, and now I am the oldest guy. Moving on up. Horrible. But so what happened was the guitarist <laughs> in the band at that time was a really great guitar player, was the original guitar player for the Earls. 
said to me, you know, I wish you would do something for me. So that's how we, we said, you know, let's get a guitar tune. And we picked Walk, Don't Run. And then we figured we would jump right into Wipeout. And then we were looking at each other going, okay, so how the hell do we get out of this? And then it became, you know what, we were on the beach, we're doing a surf thing. What, what's an iconic tune from the 60s? It was a big a big hit. And uh, we just all kind of looked at each other and said, Y50. So we put the arrangement together. And then Vinny, Adam, myself, Jimmy, and Nick, we just kind of laid it down just to see what it would sound like. And we yeah. thought it was really good. And, and we. Thought and then the it, best part is every single girlfriend and wife at the time in the band heard it for the first time, what we did in the studio, and said, nobody's going to like that. That's never yes. going to work. Oh, really? It's never going to work. You guys can't do that. Yes. And then we did it at a show one night, and it literally just destroyed the room. That was the biggest song of the night. And we all looked at each other laughing on stage, yeah. knowing that the only reason why we wanted to do this song was to prove them wrong. That's, right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's always a good point. Day, if my wife doesn't that. like it, I know it's usually good. So that, that's, that's, that's my gauge. Penicillin, that'll never work. What a dud. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, and so what, what had happened was we really kind of started the band with all these tunes, and then I wanted to take it in another direction and really start to use technology and do things that, you know, other bands weren't doing, and that was tell more stories. You know, the, the problem with the oldie circuit is these guys have to go on package shows where there's five and six and seven bands, and what happens is they only have ten minutes. So you really can't get in there and do a ton of production. And I had kind of made a decision early on that, you know what, I want this to be different, and I want it to be where we really can kind of unfold the story. How I was a guy in the record business, I had this going on. My friend Chaz told me to start a band with the kids, and from that it morphed into a video with Danny and Chaz introducing us to, you know what, we're doing Dion's The Wanderer, let's go film it on Arthur Avenue and Dion's Old Neighborhood and just have us walking through the neighborhood, and that became a thing. And then when it got to the surf medley, by that point we were in talks with people to really kind of take this to another level, and there's a really, really uh, gifted director in Florida, his name is Kevin Black, and Kevin does a lot of production shows, and I had lunch with him one day, and I told him what I was doing, and he said to me, give me the surf medley, and he put that video together, which really, I mean, it's just the best clips that you could kind of think of from the 60s of all, you know, beach movie stuff, and, you know, bikinis, and, you know, hot rods, and, and then just for it to go into Hawaii Five-0, I said to him, I want to use the original opening of the show where Jack Lord yeah. is there and the wave comes crashing down and, and you yeah. know the coolest thing I mean, is you look, you, at it, you look at it like Disney like whenever you go to Disney and you go on a ride Disney isn't just affecting one sense Disney's affecting all senses you feel the touch the smell the sight the sound of the entire ride and like you know that's a huge driving inspiration to me that if we don't only show these people the sounds of what they were growing up with we can show them the visuals of what they were growing up with and we could wear the things that they were growing up with. I mean, it literally just takes people back, like in a time machine type thing, and that's the cool, cool aspect of it. Well, you know, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, a great, a great point is in the show. We literally show our story, which are pretty much my whole movies uh, growing up, and then how you know the kids come along and the kids home. And the funny thing is, it's kind of shot as a typical what you would imagine a 1960s home movies look like with my dad with the tree of lights holding him up while he's holding the camera. And the cool thing with that is people in the audience that watch that 
are not looking at my home movies. They're seeing themselves as the kid running around in the kitchen and as as yeah. the parents are, you know, rolling in the, the waves at the beach. And, and it really is neat. And, and the comments that we always get is, you know, man, you really took me back. You really took me back. I can't believe it. I was in my old neighborhood. And, you know, yeah, it works. Oh, I'll vouch for that because, you know, um, my my parents always took these. I don't know if they were 16 millimeter or I forgot what the millimeter was in those days. But there's a lot of videos of my brother and I just kind of like hanging out in the house and doing things or dressing up the for Halloween. Yeah, the eight millimeter. <laughs> and, and and your videos, I guess they were. It was really film. So your film looked like all. The, and my 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 mom and dad also did a lot of 35 millimeter slides. And yeah. to see you know the old slideshows, which they still have the equipment and show every once in a while. And to see the old movie, the old film, uh, it's just it's it's a real flashback. And, and to, in, to, in many ways, a simpler time when there were busy signals and great music and a lot of other things that are really aren't present in the same form anymore. You know, so, very true. And and I grew up, you know, with the original Y Five O, so I remember. Now, the great thing about uh, the Bronx Wanderers in the Surf Jam is that when they do the a picture of Jack Lord on the balcony. There's now a there's a close up of Vinny. So you know, it just you know they just using CGI. They just kind of went in. That there would and, be cool. Yeah, and just kind of interposed his face. <laughs> you know, but um, by the way, uh, I this is trivia, but I remember reading that the current Hawaii Five O that they insisted that they keep the original song unchanged from the original series unchanged. Right. You know, and I guess maybe that's also to bring that. And they shot they shot the. Uh the balcony scene. He said, I'm right on that balcony, that same balcony. Yeah. And it really is great. You know. So we only have a minute. Oh my God. This is like fast radio. When when you are with the Bronx Wanderers, it is it is fast, fast radio. So I'll tell you what, <laughs> I'm telling you, it's unbelievable. Because they're because they are the greatest band. Okay, so Bronxwanderers.com, Facebook uh, Bron- the Bronx Wanderers. Yep. All right. So I'll tell you what, we'll be right back. Don't go away. we got lots of great stories. And when we come back, we're going to find out how, how long it takes Yo Vinny to put on his makeup. We'll talk about that in a second. All right. <laughs> All right. We'll be right back. Keep it locked in. All right. Richard Solomon taking care of business with the Bronx Wanderers. You can catch us. There you go. You can catch us in concert. Uh, no, uh, you can catch me on the radio and then on concert. BronxWanderers.com. Now, uh, these guys have great stories. They should be on VH1 Storytellers just as their own little series. So, so I was asking Vinny how long it takes to do the makeup. So that's, and they all cracked up because this is like an inside joke. But now we're going to let everybody in on the, on the story. So we play this gigantic festival every year in Milwaukee and it's the the grounds where they have Summerfest which is this legendary summer concert yeah. series where the top names in the music industry play this place for one week the week after it's rented out and it pretty much is themed each week they theme it so one week it's Italian week the next week it's you know Oktoberfest and it's all German themed then they do a trip to England and it's, it's really neat so the week that we get to go in it's themed Italian week where they bring in no Valley. Italian? No, I just you know. <laughs> so they bring in they bring in Frankie Valley, they bring in Frankie Avalon, 
They bring in groups like the Monkees. They bring in the Cake Boss. And there's all these giant stages set up in this amusement park with no rides. It's all stages and nothing else but food. So you pay like $20 to get in. And you just go from stage to stage and eat all day. And at any given moment, there's probably like 100,000 people in the park. And so it becomes a thing where while you're the band playing on stage, you're more than likely playing to 10 to 15,000 people at a clip. It really is. It's huge. So for four days, there we are playing, and we're doing great and, and just, you know, killing it. And on the fifth day, which is Monday, we go back to the airport, and I'm walking through the airport, and a guy comes up to me, and he says, I saw you guys over the weekend. You guys are really good. And I said, thanks. And I keep walking, and a woman stopped me. She said, wow, I saw you guys over the weekend. You know, I love you play with your kids. It was great. Thank you so much. And this, is, this goes like three or four times. I go, wow, this is really great. Some guy finally stops me, and he says, yo, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. He said, I'm a big fan. I'm like, wow. He said, I got to ask you, how long does it take to put the makeup on? I said, what? And he said, come on, man. I know you're Gene Simmons. And I said, no, no, no. I said, I'm not Gene Simmons. I said, I'm in an oldies band with my kids. He goes, oh, I hate when you guys do this. And he starts screaming. All of a sudden, the crowd starts building. And he's pointing at me going, Gene Simmons won't give me his autograph. And all of a sudden, all these people look at me like, is that really him? So now I'm starting to freak out and panic. I took the paper out of his hand. I signed Gene Simmons. I take my guitar and I run off to the gate. And everybody was laughing. And it just, just became like, that was a funny story. But now it's happened to me like 10 times. We're like, I'll go into a restaurant. You know, you're the guy from the Family Jewel show. And I'm like, oh, God. And so this goes on and on. So finally, you know, Gene Simmons was going to be in town. And uh, Vinny said to me, why don't you call him up and let's go talk to him and tell him this whole story. And this would be really funny. And the original notion was when they were filming us for a reality show, I had told the producers this. And the plan was... They were going to do this like a whole thing where they were going to get Gene Simmons in on the episode and we were going to have a sit down brokered by Danny Aiello <laughs> trying to explain to Gene Simmons that I'm not running around impersonating him, going to restaurants, trying to capitalize on the fact that I look like him. And so I go to meet him and tell him this. And as I'm walking up to him, I have a black They're jacket wearing on the exact and a black shirt thing. and sunglasses, and he's got a black jacket and a black shirt and sunglasses, and we both kind of double-take a look at each other, and I said to him, I had to meet you to tell you that everywhere I go, people think I'm you, and he looked back at me, and he couldn't have been nicer. He said, well, I got to tell you, you're very lucky to be this good-looking. <laughs> 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 and he was great about it, and it was just, it was really like a fun moment, and you know, just a brilliant, brilliant businessman, and just a really super nice guy. Yeah, when you come see us in the show, we have the slide that actually shows the picture of our dad next to Gene Simmons, and it literally is like a who's who. Pretty funny. You don't know. So, so Pretty funny and sad. So, I said to my parents, you could make me look like Johnny Depp. So, here's, so, the, <laughs> so the, the journalist question has to be, so who says that they're Paul Stanley when you're doing the autographs? <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, Gene, by the way, Gene Simmons has an incredible reputation for being one of the smartest business folks ever, ever to face rock and roll. Ever, no, like Dad ever. has his book. Ever. Well, his, his book is really cool too. I mean, when you think yeah, about he read it. it, when when you think he's about, got a, he's got a book called Me Inc. and it's all about you know, do it, go for it, start your own business, do it, and. And he talks about the over 500, I think it's 500 to 1,000 licensed products he has out on KISS. And he's just a brilliant businessman. I, I think they even have things as bizarre as coffins. Everything. Yeah, <laughs> it's, un, it's unbelievable. Yeah, but, everything. But, 
But what what he yeah. what, what we're going to have Bronx Wanderer song soon, so be on the lookout for that. Well, yeah, what's it? Well, yeah, look out. You, you never know. Maybe, maybe you know, at, at some, Kiss has been around for how long? How long? 30, 35 I'm going to say 75, 30. Probably, you know, probably 40 years. All right, well, does that qualify? I, I think they did their 40th anniversary tour a couple of years ago, yeah. Does that qualify them in old, as an oldies band? Yeah, pretty much. All right, well, you never know. It's pretty wild to think like that. You know? So, but yeah. So spe- you know, we are, coming from a record background, I mean, it really gets into that, that you know, you got to look at the whole picture, and, and I approach it, where, you know, if we're playing oldies music, then you really have to stop and say that, you know what, stuff like like what you're saying, 1975 and 1973, you know, those it are oldies. oldies now. Those it are over oldies. 40 years old, and the people that were 20 years old are now in their 60s. And it really becomes, you know, that you've got to start bringing those things into what we're doing. And that's why, you know, I mean, if you follow CBS FM in New York and stations like that, they are moving more 70s, 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And, and you've got to keep moving that, you know, time frame forward. You know, we always keep the early stuff that we do, but we just keep, you know, trying to slide that, you know, meter forward a little bit. Well, you have to evolve as, as time evolves. Well, you speak. Know, I, mean, I, I, just, I love being topical. Yeah. I mean, last week, the biggest thing in the news uh, was the whole, it was the Back to the Future date. And Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd were on the Jimmy Kimmel show, and it was in the newspapers, and it was on all the radio stations. It was everywhere. And so the kids went in, we went in the studio, we came up with this gigantic opening with a whole DeLorean and us getting in a DeLorean and it, it being this whole Back to the Future thing. And you see the DeLorean, you know, crash through the screen. And all of a sudden, our name is on the screen in the Back to the Future font, and we bust into Huey Lewis's Power of Love, which, you know, for an oldies band, it's like, you know, what are you guys doing that tune for? You know, because it's it's topical, and it's what's out there today, and it's what everybody's talking about today. And, you know, that weekend, when we did that on stage, everybody had, whoa, you know, and you go right out of that into the Wanderer, and, you know, people are like, wow, these guys are amazing, and it's, you got to... You know, always want to be cutting edge, always. Well, speaking of cutting yep. edge, you got to talk to us, meaning us, meaning the listeners, about Bohemian Rhapsody. Because when I saw you guys <laughs> play that, I was floored to the, to the you know, it was like, I was like, wow. Because you, you did it so awesomely. That's the first the, thing. The story, the story behind that tune is I saw a band online that basically said they're doing Bohemian Rhapsody. And the caption said best cover version of Bohemian Rhapsody ever. Until and I watched the video and I thought like, hmm, maybe I can get the guys together and we could try to do our own little take and thing on this. I showed it to Dad. I said, can I have permission to actually spend some time on this and put this song together with the guys? And he was like, if you honestly think you can pull this song off, you can try to do it. So I got the guys together it took us a month and a half to figure out who is singing what vocal where, who is doing what, how are we going to put this together on stage every night without completely embarrassing ourselves. And after a month and a half, we went in the studio, we put this thing down, and we looked at each other and said, either people are going to love the, love the death out of this or they're going to hate it. And they're, it's the biggest hit of the night now. When, when you, when you no, first... It definitely is. You know, and again, 
you know, picture going to a Florida retirement community and playing Bohemian Rhapsody. I mean, any normal programmer would look at you and say, never going to work. It's never going to work. And there we are doing Bohemian Rhapsody. And at the end of the night, in the meet and greet line, I have everybody that's, you know, anywhere from 70 to 80 years old telling me they love the Mamma Mia song. <laughs> they, don't, they don't know the title. They don't know what it is. They don't know the name of it. But, but they said. You know, and, was, and you know it worked. Was it Mamma Mia Abba? No, okay. <laughs> yeah. The Mamma right. Mia was Abba, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So, so you know, when, but it's wild. I'm lucky. I'm lucky that I'm that I'm surrounded by my dad and my brother and and my three best friends. You know, Joe Barry and and the other two guys that were were able to pull that off. You know, like if, I love the like the way this band has evolved over the years. But the band that we have now is just everybody is so geared up to this do the, the hardest, craziest thing we can do to not just wow the audience, but to wow ourselves. You know, when you're a 27-year-old musician, you want to go out, you want to play your own music, you want to play, you know, what you love, what's on the radio. We're going out and playing music from 50, 60 years ago. We want to look at each other and go at the end of the night, wow, that felt really good. That felt so cool to do. And, you know, we're, we're, we're there. You know, thank God we're there. When, when you... yeah, the, the best comment we get from a lot of the promoters is they say, you know, the fact that you've got all these young kids playing these tunes... When these people are looking at the stage and they see all these young kids doing it, they really feel like they're back at their high school dance watching the garage band that was up on stage, you know, at that time. And it really, it, it, it works. It kind of really transports everybody. So yeah. when you first played it to a live audience, you know, for the very first horrible. time. <laughs> <laughs> it was so well, bad. Well, now. <laughs> well, okay, so what happened? What what so what was the change? What was the tweaking? Just everybody really getting comfortable with their parts. You know, it's one of those things where when you're in a harmony band and you and you have your part and you're starting to do it and everybody's okay and you know you're a little tentative and you're not really built in it and you're kind of hanging back and it was a little timid and you know where everybody's ready. Joe Joe Bonasorte, our guitar player, is super worried about you know not the singing part, but he's got to get the guitar part down just right and on the money. And then at the, the end of the night, he, I blew it. I got the wrong note. You know, I didn't hit it clean. And you know, and now it's just second nature to everybody just to walk up and blow it out and go, okay, guys, ready for our showstopper? This is it. And, and everybody's yeah. confident. That whole confidence level thing. I didn't. I didn't know when to go falsetto. How to when to belt the note because I mean Freddie Mercury I mean come on one of the greatest singers and writers in the history of time you know the first few times I did it I didn't know how to reach up for that extra note how to do it every night I looked at them after the first night and I said I looked at everybody after the show I said sorry guys I really embarrassed us I, I did not hit that note I didn't know how to do it you know and it's just practice 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 every day just trying to get it to, to be able to look at each ourselves and go, finally, we got this down. Finally. How, how, much, how much of your preparation for this song involved actually going into the original Queen archives and looking at like videos and things from YouTube? Oh, I, and- I had to go out and buy the, buy the book. I had to go out and buy the book with all the, this is the, this is the fifth harmony that he used during this bridge. This is the one, three, five. And then he overdubbed this voice seven times to get it to sound that fat. 
And then we look at each other and go, hmm, okay, how are we going to do that? So if we have three guys stay on that one note, it'll make it sound really fat. And then me, dad, and Nick will go to this other note. I mean, it was so much jockeying around the harmonies to get it to sound fat. Another main part of what we do, you know, how this band operates is, you know, if we're playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or, you know, Wednesday through Saturday, on Monday and Tuesday we're in a studio. I mean, this week basically was, we were in California on uh, last Saturday and Sunday. So we flew out Friday, we played Saturday and Sunday, we flew back Monday morning. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday we were in the studio Friday and Saturday, we were in Chicago. Sunday, we flew back. Today was our first day back, and we're in the studio all day today. And that's, you know, that's how last week, again, you know, we have, you know, we basically played on Saturday night, you know, we're like the Springsteen of all these groups. We played three hours. We did a, uh, it's a theater <laughs> show with a thousand people, and the promoter said to me, this is what I want you to do. Come out and play from 9 to 9.45 take a break till like 10 and then play like from 10 to 11. I'm like, okay. So we go out, the people love us. We, we went out, we played from nine to 10, you know, I pushed it to an hour. We took a break to about 10 20 and then we played from 10 20 to 12 20. Wow. And you know, and, and even at 12 20, the people were calling for an encore and the security guys looking at me like, we really got to close the theater. You guys got to stop. And you know, and it's just, but we just keep adding and adding material. And every time you keep doing that, you go, okay, so what are you going to cut out? And we all kind of shrug and go, what do we got to cut it out? Let's do them all. And then you wind up doing them all. I mean, so we added like six new things this week. So, yeah, it was so, a big week. So that, that kind of gets We actually the- did our first uh, brother duet. Me and Nick sang our first song together. Think about it. This band's been together for 14 years. Me and Nick never, never did a song, just me and him. So what's the so duet? me and him went out and did God Only Knows by the Beach Boys. Wow. wow. Right, Nick? Nick, tap the phone so we know you're there. See, okay. Rockline never had these problems. <laughs> <laughs> I'm listening. I'm like fan number one right now listening to you too. So... So when you guys are doing the old set list, how does that get generated? Because there's so much stuff. Constant fighting. I mean, it really is. I mean, because, you know, I, I listen to the kids. I really do. And, but, it, but it still comes down to I like to do this, this, and this. And then they'll tell me, come on, let's do this and that. And then it becomes where we kind of tug at each other back and forth. And then, you know, when we're in the game, I mean, I do the old, let me embarrass the kids, and on the stage I say, I want to do this. So now they're all, you know, grimacing at me, and now they're stuck and they have to do it, even though we agreed beforehand that we it's weren't going to do bad. it. It's not bad. It's not bad like that. I mean, basically, <laughs> cool. we, know, we know the formula enough to know that during a 90-minute show, we have our, like, six to eight major hits that we have to do. Like, Run Around Sue... The Wanderer, the Four Seasons medleys, the Surf medley. Mm-hmm. You know, these are the songs we know we got to do every night, and we enjoy doing them every night. The other songs we call like our B bracket, our swing tunes. Or some nights, instead of me going out and doing Kicks by Paul Revere and the Raiders, I can go out and do Kinda Hush by Peter Noon. Or I can go out and do Daydream Believer by... Uh, the Monkeys. Who is that, Dad? The Monkeys, right? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, we have our little swing song. So it, it, we literally, me and Dad look at each other before we go out on stage every night. We look into the crowd, and we gauge the audience. If we see that they're a really 
rockin', rowdy. Wow, look at that. They cheered at the intro video. Okay, cool. So we can do a lot cooler, rockier stuff. If they're a little more like, you know, they just want to chill, watch, enjoy themselves, you know, we'll go we'll go a different route. But literally, I mean, we, we, we find we, that we, out we, 10 minutes before we go yeah. on. I mean, we really are a, a formula band. I mean, and the reason why I say that is all, all my years of you know, working at a record label and really, you know, we we would talk to each and every band and you should do this and you should do that and it should be framed this way and that way. And, and you know, the bands that pretty much listened are the bands that always broke through and did really well, that there was there was a structure and there was a game plan. And, you know, if you stick to the game plan, you should do really well. And I had set this band up with a whole, you know, game plan in mind. And the game plan basically was, listen, this is what we're going to do. We're going to basically, uh, you know, we're going to, for the first three or four years, we're going to really hone it on a low level doing, you know, restaurants, maybe some street fairs here or there, and just keep it low and really get the band super tight. And then by the second, you know, part of that first phase, you know, we're going to get it to the point where we're going to start doing theater shows and we're really going to ratchet it ratchet it up. And, you know, I would say the game plan I had laid out for the band was at five years, we were going to be on a certain level, and I had picked an artist that I wanted to target that I said, we'll be right in their pocket and be doing what they're doing. And what had happened was we hit that mark in four years, and the kids were well ahead of schedule. And then it just got to, okay, so now how do we take it to the next level? And then we really pushed the boundary to go that way, you know, with bringing the whole, where it's more video than that we had the first four years and more, you know, yeah. but the formula basically is, okay, so you have the stars, introduce who you're about to see and what this is all about. And then we basically kind of come out, and as the old guy, you know, I hit the middle, and I kind of cover it, and I let you get in a kind of comfort zone that, okay, you know, this is this is a band that is from the Bronx, and they do Dion, and, you know, and I was lucky enough to do some projects with Frankie Valley's companies, and so we'll do a Frankie Valley medley, and, and Nikki had played drums for the Jersey Boys, so it makes sense. And then the thing is, then I introduced the and kids. Then Dad lets me come out and scare everybody. You know, yeah, well, Vinny comes out, and Dad does his <laughs> thing, and then they say, well, okay, this is the first song that's pretty cool. And then, you know, to, to kind of tug at your heartstrings a little bit, I do a duet with him. And then it's, like, really neat. And then, you know, the, the natural progression would be, let me bring Nick back from behind the drums, and then I do a duet with them. So now you've got the whole family kind of introduced, and then I get out of the way, and all the kids step forward, and they do the surf medley. And then we usually, there's usually an intermission, and then we come back out, and then it kind of starts the same way. Where, He's like a know, mad scientist, how he thought The dad does it, and then, then it gets into the whole kids block where I really just kind of get out of the way and let the kids do their thing and tear it up. And then it you know comes full circle around where we show our home movies, and uh, it goes back then to a song like Run Around Sue, which is, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Dion. And, and then from that moment, then we basically just, you know, everybody, all hands on deck, let's rip it up and bring it home. And we just slam everybody, you know, into the dirt and just go, let's go. And that's and that's why, like, we never really got into doing the package shows where, like, when you only have 15 minutes to perform with five other groups, it's like, how do you pick which songs of the Bronx Wanderers do you do in 15 minutes? You can't. You can't. It's, like, impossible to tell our story in that amount of time. It's an, it's an amazing thing because we had just played, we had just played uh, two weeks ago with Gary Lewis and the Playboys. And, I'm, you know, I'm a big Jerry Lewis fan. And I had watched Gary 
do his set. He did like five songs. I can't. I mean, he's another one of those guys. Every song's a hit. You know, he did five or six songs. Every song was a top ten hit. And I mean, I literally stood in the wings and I said to him afterwards, I said, the only reason I'm here tonight is because I wanted to work with you and meet you. And I'm such a big fan. And he was gracious enough. He took a picture with me and it was great. And then I started to talk to his band and the guy said to me, you know, we hate doing uh, these shows only from a standpoint that we don't get to do our show. And I said, you know, well, what do you mean? And he says, well, you know, Gary does a whole, the whole show is video driven with videos of his dad and videos of, of him making movies with Jerry and how Jerry got him this and how he did duets with these starlets. And you go, yeah, you know, great. But so even, you know, he has to every once in a while say, you know what, let me do a package show. Let me get out there and, you know, just kind of show my face. But he's got, he has a video driven show as well. All right. We got to take a quick break. This is, this is wild radio because when you're with the Bronx Wanderers, there's stories galore. Keep it right here. Crazy wild. Crazy wild. <laughs> All right, Richard Solomon taking care of business. This is one of the greatest jobs in radio because I get to meet some of the greatest musicians that are out there. And to me, you know, part of that great family of great, great musicians who play with heart and soul and drive and can really rock the house are these guys, the Bronx Wanderers. And if you're just, hello, and if, and hello, hello, hello. And if you're just joining us, we're doing a little wacky thing. We're trying to do a conference call because everybody is scattered across, across the globe. And uh, <laughs> this is the only way. Besides, they're so busy that it's actually hard to nail them down in one single venue anyway. So this is the best way to kind of capture. They got great stories. Well, in, in the time that we have left, we've got we to get some stories out. So you want... Tell us a little bit about how you got to know Dion. Because so Dion basically lived on the block that my parents, you know, we had a house. We, we were like their neighbors. And my cousin Janice uh, used to hang out with him all the time as, as a teenager. So when I was born, you know, my, my mother actually took singing lessons from his dad. And somewhere in this house I have those tapes. And uh, his dad wanted to be like a music teacher. You know, once, once Dion was about to hit the... the his father capitalized and was giving the kids in the neighborhood singing lessons. And my mother was one of his students. And so I was born and, uh, Janice took Dion over the house and he basically would hang in our house and he signed a baby book and he took some pictures and my mother would take me all the time to watch them rehearse down the street. And, and, you know, it really was like a neighborhood thing where everybody in the neighborhood was kind of close to them. And so through the years, I developed a writing relationship with him that, you know, I was the kid, remember the kid, the baby kid, and I would send the pictures. And he was, he was gracious enough to always say, yeah. And my grandmother would always tell me that his mother's side were the Campanellas, was that we were related to the Campanellas. And so I would try and tell him, I said, oh, we're related, you know, related to the Campanellas. And he could not have been nicer to me. He was always cool to me. And it, and it just became a thing where as I was getting older and I, and I really wanted to be him, I started playing guitar and I started really, you know, I always emulated him. And I would be the only kid where everybody was out doing, you know, Led Zeppelin stuff with the Beatles. There I am playing the Wander and talent shows and things like that. So I was in high school and I had called him up and I said, I want a job in the record business. And he was the one that called Terry and Tommy and said, you know, give this kid a shot. And, you know, the rest is history. You know, I had my career really because of him. Wow. So I got I to ask this question for my family. My, my wife and children, my children are four and two, love Jim Croce. Uh, they, they actually are, they, they listen in the car on the way to school, uh, Jim Croce's greatest hits. 
right. And, That's and great. My, and my little one goes, operator, operator. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great tune. So, could you talk a little bit about uh, Jim Croce, what, what your Jim, relationship I mean, I mean, I started at the label at the end of 1976, going into 77, and Jimmy, Jimmy had died in 73. I mean, you want to talk about stupid. I mean, I have the original, you know, in, in our warehouse – you know you're a lawyer and you could probably get me arrested for this. But when we sold the catalog, when we sold the catalog to uh, Atlantic, it was, a, it, was, it was the, oh my God, I can't remember the name. But it was this big, big conglomerate group that after so many years, the rights, we were going to lose the rights anyway and everything was going to revert back. Uh, we were going to lose the publishing. My boss was such a good businessman, made a deal to sell all the masters and get them out. And every time you make a master, you make a master and you make a safety. So there's a backup to it. So when it came, and this was these guys, you know, blood and sweat. This was their main artist. And this was their main thing. And when it came time for the delivery of the master tapes, they said to me, you have to bring the master tapes. And I said, okay. And then, of course, I went downstairs. I'm not doing it. So I took all the safeties, which, which were the backups, and I gave it to them. And I want to say this was about 30 years ago. And what I did was about 10 years after, I never told anybody, I never told anybody I did this. I went downstairs and I gave each of them, you know, a copy of the master, which, which they produced. And I said, here, I, I didn't have the heart to give these away 10 years ago, to which they all shrieked and said I could have got them shot and killed. And, you know, but, uh, but what you don't know can't hurt you. <laughs> and Jimmy, and Jimmy was such a good guy. I had the actual stool that he sat on. And uh, and the I got a name sessions and wow. one of those things where you don't know memorabilia and you don't know things are going to be worth something. In one of our moves that we did through the years, I have no idea where it is, and, and it was just you know I kill myself to this day that uh, you know we did that. But uh, you know Tommy, we West, actually wound up putting I got a name on on the new album, the last new album that we put out. The guitar, the guitar player, a strong affiliation. Yeah, we, we yeah, did. The guitar I got player that plays that whole intro to Operator with great guitar player, Maury Muleisen. His sister, for the 40th anniversary of the plane crash uh, a couple of years back, said to me, we're putting together a whole 40th anniversary thing, and I'd love you to be a part of it, being that you were there. I mean, I was, I was pretty much, you know, I got gold records for uh, his greatest hits, photographs and memories. I got uh, greatest love songs, Down the Highway, Faces I've Been. It's about four or five albums. I mean, the, the amazing thing was we had three albums out, and we turned it into 11 albums. Wow. And uh, and it was just, you know, repackaged every different way you could imagine. And it became where, I mean, a good three or four of them all went gold. And it was just a, it was a great, great time. And, uh, you know, I, I've known, I knew Ingrid back then, I'm going to say in the 70s, 78, 79. I have not seen her since then. And I know his son AJ is out. And, uh, I mean, I saw AJ when he was like five years old. And he sounds he sounds great, and he's out playing and doing a lot of stuff. But you know, working with Terry and Tommy is my has been my biggest influence on in how to structure a song, how to you know start small, build it, build it, build it, and then make it real big. And and Vinny produced a great version of. I said to him, you know, I got to do this right, and it's for Mary, and it was for Terry, Tommy, and Phil, and, and we recorded. I got a name on our newest album, uh, and and. Uh, it just came out great. Uh, whoop, 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 uh, shameless plug time. The name of the new album is? Uh, Still Happy but, Together. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I have the original family, the, the, was it the Family Affair album? Yeah. And I have yeah. Not Afraid to Dream. 
So we got to oh, send you man. the new one. So there you go. So you know, so, so happy together. And, and we've been, you know, it's just the fact that we tour so much. We literally don't have the time to go in, and you know, I don't want to put something out for the sake of putting something out. You know, I want it to be better than the last album we did. And to do that, we we literally need to take a couple of months and really just block it out and go in and do it. And we just have not had that time. I mean, we're, we're close. I mean, but we're still a good... We'd have to spend every day in the studio for like two or three weeks to finish the next album. And we just That's basically that how we put together our Christmas album, which was last year in October. We had we had two weeks to put it together before uh, <laughs> before we left for tour for Florida. And we were going to do this song, uh, Happy Christmas War is Over, the one by John Lennon. Yeah, yeah. And they usually, they had the choir on that song. And I said to Dad, listen, let's not do this cheap and crappy. Let me try going to the local middle school that me and Nick went to, and Joe Barry, I think, went to. And, That's right. Uh, I went to the little kids, to the uh, music director. I said, would you mind if I came in and recorded this song with the kids' choir, because I'm putting out a Christmas album. If I'm going to put out my first Christmas album ever, I want it to be great. And the school couldn't have been nicer. They lent me the kids for three hours. We came in, we recorded with them. We wrote out cue cards of what words they have to say. They were great. And, uh, yeah, great. it was great. That, that kind of reminds me of Fleetwood Mac getting the USC Trojans for Tusk. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I had nowhere to go and no one to think of other than, okay, I went to this school, let me try that, and, and my first shot, it worked out. We actually got my mom on that record, too, who acted like Yoko Ono. She led all the kids. And I mean, it, it, was, it was hilarious. We made a little goof out of it. But for the two weeks that we put in, we literally put in eight to ten hours a day. Wow. So, you know, so I gotta, I gotta we got say, a product you know, for I, And I always say that's like my favorite album. It was such a good feel album that, you know, you know, you know when you're in a session and you just, it's all, you know, it's a good session. Wow, that was good. Wow, that sounded good. And I mean, it was like every one of the tunes in that session would just, you know, everybody had a good time. And, you know, it was, we were approaching the holidays. Everybody was in the right head. And, and it really just was, the kids in the school just could not, they sound as good, if not better, than the kids that did John's original version. I mean, they're great. Wow. So yeah, we got to send you that album, too. 100%. 100%. <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll get an autograph when I see you guys at the North Shore Towers. And you not know? to alienate any of my Jewish fans. Nothing religious. All happy holiday tunes. Oh, by the way, yeah. did you, you know that Jim Croce was a, a nice Jewish boy. Yes. Yes. That's a, that's yes. a little trivia. There, there you go. Yes. All right. So yes. when you guys go to, quote, the studio, is it always the same studio? Or do you do, like, Led Zeppelin? You go to, like, Bronyar or these other places? Uh... We, we did. I mean, Family Affair was done when the band had started and the kids were little. I knew a guy that, that had a really, really nice state-of-the-art studio in Staten Island. And we kind of started there. And when his lease ended, he took it to... Uh, he has a really, really big house down by Bruce Springsteen. And so we were recording a lot of the stuff in the studio that he had now moved to uh, his house, which I think pretty much most of uh, Not Afraid to Dream was done there. And then, you know, it just became a grind to really drive the two hours just to go through a, you know, a session. And we would do things like where we'd work one in the afternoon until 11 at night and then have a two-hour ride home. It just became really, you know, tough to do. And then Ethan was a local guy and just a really great engineer. Ethan's our bass player. And Ethan said, you know, I have a studio. And Vinny was recording stuff there. And then we just kind of went over and clicked. And the next thing you know, Ethan joined the band. And, and so now we record literally 15 minutes from the house. And Ethan's dad 
was Frank Sinatra's guitar player for a long time. He's a great, great wow. session guitar player that everybody uses, and it just became like a real comfortable, natural fit. I mean, right? Yeah, we now we now record in my friend's basement. That's great. That's <laughs> to great. Your question. It's yeah. no major like recording studio. It's in a guy's basement. Yeah. But I mean, the drum but set that he has that isn't made anymore. It's from 1970. The best sounding drum set you'll ever hear in your life. I mean, it's. It's it's great. I, I, I mean, couldn't be happier. His, his dad recorded with Frank, so you know everything is state of the art, and it's just yeah. really good stuff. Well, and what's interesting is I went to see the Nashville concert on Saturday night at the Tilly Center, and I saw a poster that said that Sinatra sings Sinatra's coming uh, sometime later this year. Yeah, so, yeah. As a matter of fact, we just left yeah, Chicago the place just on Saturday. It. He's playing there Wednesday night. Ah, yeah, we were just there. Yeah. What, what day is today? Tuesday, he's playing tomorrow night. Oh, wow. Monday, yeah. two days, he's playing Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, this will be heard after the fact, but as Ian Anderson <laughs> once wrote, it was a new day yesterday, but it's an old day now. <laughs> <laughs> yep, exactly right. So who exactly are the right. heroes of rock and roll that you've either met or played with that were like the ah kind of moment for you? Wow. Go ahead, Dad. Wow. Well, I mean, I... I have the dubious distinction of being at Billy Joel's audition for Cashman and West, and uh, they were so busy at the time, you know, with so many projects that they said they couldn't handle it, and Billy was wound up, passed over to Phil Ramone, and they recorded The Stranger and the rest is history, and uh, that was a cool moment. And I mean, you know, seeing Neil Diamond in the hallways was always great, and, uh, you know, and Dion was my guy. I mean, you know, j- just a to be able to work on the Return of the Wander album was like the ultimate thrill for me. And I, and I remember telling them back then that someday when I'm like old and, you know, looking back, this is going to be like one of the coolest things ever in my life. And I, and yeah. to this day, when I look at the Return of the Wander album and there's my name on the back, it's like, yeah, that was a really cool moment. And, I, uh, I loved uh, getting to play recently with, with Peter Noon of Herman's Hermit. Oh, he's incredible. He's great. He was, he was awesome. And just being able to watch him be an entertainer and not even just sing. Uh, there are not many guys that I look at on the circuit that are as good as my dad. You know, like being a singer is one thing, but being able to be an entertainer and tell stories and weave a whole entire night around something magical. Peter Noon had that same it factor that my dad has. And that was really cool, getting to meet and hang out with him. And I mean, me and Nick got to meet Charlie Thomas. <laughs> like, we had no idea who that was, the drifters. And Dad goes, remember Home Alone when he puts the uh, the aftershave on? Da, 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 da. That's so dumb. <laughs> and I'm just like, whoa, man, we're getting to play with that guy. That's so cool. You know, we've met we've met a lot of cool people along the way. You know, oh, I, Black, I, say, I mean, uh, all these people. Uh, I have to say, playing with with uh, U.S. Bond that was a really great experience for me. Gary, you were great. Yeah, man, it's great. The fact that, that he cool. uh, he actually influenced like some of Dion's biggest hits. That was like really cool yeah. in a, in a strange way. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Wild. What, what is it? A lot of cool people. What, what is it like to be part of the, the oldie circuit where you see all these legends <laughs> and you rub elbows with them and you know, you're accused of being Gene Simmons. Uh, you know, that kind <laughs> of thing. I have no idea how we're not banned from the oldie circuit. Um, yeah. you know, it, it, it's a thrill. I mean, you know, you, you got to stand back and you got to respect these guys, and you got to say, "Hey, these were the guys." You know, Jay Siegel and the Tokens. I mean, you know, Jay's one of those guys that people don't 
realize, yeah, the lion sleeps tonight. Yeah, it's great. And, you know, they had some really good. He also produced like Tony Orlando's records, and he produced like so many things that you know people don't realize. This guy had a whole other record career, you know, besides yeah. being the lead singer of the Tokens. And you know, yeah. you step back and you go, wow, you know, you really you just look at these guys and like reverence. And most of these guys, after they all had the one hit. They didn't disappear. They all went in and they worked in the record industry, and they've all got these storied careers that nobody yeah. really knows about Same thing because they Carolina. only know them from I mean, that one hit. Writing Michael Jackson's, you know, he just came out with a hit with Michael Jackson, Paul Anka. You know, get, getting to meet him was, was wild. You know, writing everything. Stuff for Barbara Streisand. Stuff for, uh, who's, who's the guy that did She's a Lady Dead? Uh, oh, Tom Jones. Tom Jones. Tom I've seen Jones, him. Right, yeah. 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 Wrote that. I mean, crazy man. Those are the guys I looked up to. The guys that wrote their own stuff, and that so, sadly is a, is an art today that is no longer present. So I was at I was at Sear Sound one day, you know, the, the old Hit Factory, and I'm on the elevator and I'm riding the elevator, you know, five floors with David Bowie, and I think <laughs> for the first three floors, it's like. Hmm, I can't be the overzealous fan, but yet I can't let him get off the elevator. And finally, around the fourth, I said, all right, man, look, I'm busting. I got to tell you, I'm a huge fan. And he was so cool. That was a cool moment. I had to drop off a package once to Atlantic Records, and a guy tapped me on the shoulder to walk around me. And yeah, okay, buddy, got and, and it's just that I'm dealing with the desk, and a guy from the back room came running out. And he said, "Oh my God, I bet that's as close as you ever got to him." And I go, "Who?" And he goes, "That was Mick Jagger." And I'm like, "No!" <laughs> so freaking out. And, uh, and and probably my favorite one that we do in the show now that I talk about is uh, bosses call me in one day and they said, "Okay, here's the deal. Frank Sinatra wants to record Bad Bad Leroy Brown. We need you to run over to his lawyer's office." It's his New York office, and just dropped the papers off. And I got all excited. I said, oh, am I going to get to meet Frank Sinatra? They said, no. And they said, listen, you're under strict orders. Do not talk. You go there, you drop off the package, you turn around, you walk out. And I'm like, all right, all right. So I took the package. I go, I knock on the door. The receptionist lets me in, and she says, yes, they're waiting for you. They're in the back. And as I'm walking down the hallway, who pops out of the office is Frank Sinatra. So I kind of like stand there stunned that I'm looking at Frank Sinatra, you know, who I grew, my, my household, my parents, my grandparents, you know, my God, it's Frank Sinatra. And as I'm standing there, he's walking towards me and I'm like, do I say something? Do I not say something? The longer I'm standing there, I'm just kind of like frozen in time. He walks right up to me and says, kid, you're in the way. And he pinches my cheek, he gives me a little slap and he winks at me and he runs by me. So now I go down the office, drop the papers off, and, you know, I mean, just great, great moments like that. I mean, just... These guys have great stories. This is Richard Solomon. We ran out of time, but we'll we'll see what we can do about getting the Bronx Wanderers to be back next week. Until then, have a safe week. Thanks for listening, and check out thebronxwanderers.com and support their music. Mm-hmm.